If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Hello again, everyone. Happy December 1st. We are now officially in December, so you can put up your decorations without your dogmatic neighbor complaining about it. With a full work week winding down, our friends in Washington have been busy. I'm dropping this show late because I didn't want to miss the developments today of our first story. The results are in, folks, so let's get into it. Everyone's favorite man about Congress, George Santos, has had his day in court. In the House, at least. His actual court proceedings are still forthcoming and include 23 federal counts on various fraud charges. With the House Ethics Committee report released recently, members who have bristled at Santos's refusal to resign in light of the growing stack of damning evidence against him launched their third attempt to force him out. Sponsored by Mississippi Republican Michael Guest, House Resolution 878 came to the floor and its goal was no less than the expulsion of the embattled member. Eighteen Republicans who did not support expulsion last time have indicated they would this time. In a spirited debate yesterday, Santos tilted with his accusers and members began coalescing around opinions on if he should or should not be expelled and if this proceeding was too soon or not soon enough. Those that range from uncomfortable with this effort to strongly against it include the House GOP leadership. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson, Majority Leader Steve Scalise, Majority Whip Tom Emmer, and Conference Chair Elise Stefanik have all announced they would vote against the resolution. Speaker Johnson voiced his reservations about expelling Santos, saying Wednesday, We've not whipped the vote and we wouldn't, adding, I trust that people will make that decision thoughtfully and in good faith. I personally have real reservations about doing this. I'm concerned about a precedent that may be set for that. The main argument of the opposition is that Santos, while increasingly burdened with reams of hard evidence of unethical, nay, criminal behavior, and subsequent charges resulting from that, has not actually been found guilty in a court of law. This is factual. His federal case has not even begun yet, but already two of his staffers have pleaded guilty on their parts of the overall scheme and look likely to roll over on Santos when the time comes. Matt Getz, Mr. Motion to Vacate, doesn't agree with this effort to expel Santos, saying, quote, Since the beginning of this Congress, there is only two ways you get expelled. You get convicted of a crime or you participated in a civil war. Neither of those apply to George Santos, and so I rise not to defend George Santos, whoever he is, but to defend the very precedent that my colleagues are willing to shatter. Whoever he is? What are you talking about, Matt? You know who he is. You know what he's accused of, and most likely did. I'm starting to miss old-school burn-it-down gets. The guy who threw the whole chamber into disarray in a tantrum. At least that guy felt genuine. This phony artificial sweetener Matt gets tastes funny and is certain to be carcinogenic. Santos offered the same argument in his statements, protesting, On what basis does this body feel that the precedent must be changed for me? I have been convicted of no crimes. Mr. Speaker, my loyalty to this country is true and unquestionable. Some conservative members have also argued that expelling Santos before an actual conviction is a dangerous precedent because corrupt Senator Robert Menendez has not been removed, even though he has serious court cases awaiting him as well. Translation, why should we reprimand our guys if they won't reprimand theirs? This sort of whataboutism exposes the real reason behind opposition to this resolution. This isn't about right or wrong. This isn't about ethics or due process. This is about politics. This is about power. This is about control of the House. Are the Republicans alone in putting power before principle? No. The Democrats in the Senate are avoiding confronting their Menendez problem for the same reason. Yes, expelling Santos would set a new precedent. 
There was no precedent to expel members for participating in the Civil War either until there was. Santos's actions are particularly egregious. At minimum, they are worthy of consideration. In support of this potential new precedent, Mississippi Republican Michael Guest said, quote, We know the Ethics Committee authorized 37 subpoenas. They issued 43 requests for information. They interviewed 40 witnesses. They reviewed 172,000 pages of documents, and they issued a 56-page investigation report. He said, The report paints a picture of the fraud committed by Santos. Representative Santos sought to fraudulently exploit every aspect of his House candidacy for his own personal financial profit. Quoting directly from the report, the report also said he blatantly stole from his campaign, he deceived donors into providing what they thought were contributions to his campaign, but were in fact payments for his personal benefit. The discussion got nasty after Ohio Republican Max Miller called Santos a crook. Santos replied by calling Miller a woman-beater, referencing an alleged 2020 altercation with his then-girlfriend Stephanie Grisham. Miller was accused of grabbing, slapping, and pushing her during an argument about his alleged infidelity. I did some digging on Miller, and the accounts of people who knew him from school on up until today paints a disturbing picture of a rich, entitled, aggressive, misogynistic guy, Big Chad Energy, and demonstrably capable of the behavior Miss Grisham accuses him of. That's terrible, and I hope more investigation into Representative Miller is pursued. Is it relevant to the proceedings at hand? Absolutely not. Miller is probably a domestic abuser. Santos is a proven crook. Yes, the court cases against him have not completed, but in light of the evidence presented in the ethics investigation and the rapid unraveling of his inner circle thus far, there is enough to say he's a crook. At the conclusion of the five-minute vote, the results were 311 yeas to 114 nays. Two Democrats surprisingly voted nay, Virginia's Robert Scott and Georgia's Nikema Williams. Two more Democrats, Texas's Al Green and Illinois' Jonathan Jackson, voted present. Across the aisle, the Republicans were split in two, with only 105 voting to expel Santos to 112 against, with the aforementioned GOP leaders, indeed, voting with the opposition. Eight members did not vote. Republicans Eric Crawford of Arkansas, Bill Johnson of Ohio, Mike Kelly of Pennsylvania, Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington, and former Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy of California. Democrats not voting included Sheila Jackson of Texas, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, and Dean Phillips of Minnesota. Phillips, you will remember, is currently on the campaign trail contesting Joe Biden in an increasingly Machiavellian primary. We will discuss that in a moment. When questioned after the vote, Citizen Santos said, it's over. He added, the House spoke. That's their vote. They just set new dangerous precedent for themselves. When asked if he would still stay and use non-member privileges because he is not convicted, Santos said, why would I want to stay here? To hell with this place. At the end, Santos had an epiphany and ended the interview, You know what? As unofficially no longer a member of Congress, I no longer have to answer your questions. Look on the bright side, George. You can now focus on trying to stay out of jail. This was a historic moment. The opposition was correct in suggesting that it would set a precedent. For all the evidence piling up against Santos and his uncooperative and shifty behavior, he has not been found guilty in a court of law and is the first to be carried out without that last nail in his coffin. As I finish writing today's script, I'm reviewing the roll call of votes and monitoring Twitter as representatives announce their votes and their reasoning behind it. This is a defining moment for them, the body, and us. What do they stand for? What do we stand for? I encourage you to see what your representative did when called to action and see if it aligns with your values. In Democratic primary news, the cloak-and-dagger intrigue is escalating. 
We already had the stripping of delegates from the state of New Hampshire for refusing to go along with Biden's desire to reorder the primaries to favor South Carolina, a state that has been good to him in the past. This made running in New Hampshire meaningless from a delegate standpoint, but the entry of Dean Phillips into the race suddenly created the possibility of the state being able to boost a campaign out of the starting blocks and creating momentum going into in-play states. This sent the Biden campaign and the DNC into a flurry of activity to get a write-in campaign going in a state they had just dismissed. Now we have what's going on in Florida. The Florida Democratic Party Executive Committee voted October 29th to only include President Biden on the primary ballot, despite the fact that there were two challengers in the field in addition to the incumbent. Neither Dean Phillips nor Marianne Williamson, the two major challengers, were included. This decision was just two days after challenger Dean Phillips announced his candidacy, but Williamson was already an established candidate. This omission is important because under Florida state law, if a candidate is running in a primary unopposed, the contest won't appear on the ballot. By not putting any other names on the ballot, Biden is essentially running unopposed. So, basically, no primary will happen and he just gets the state's delegates automatically. Dean Phillips's campaign asserted, The Florida Democratic Party has stripped the right of every Florida Democrat to vote for the candidate of their choice since the state will not issue a ballot for a party primary with only one candidate. The campaign further alleges that this runs counter to the Democratic National Committee's own rules that state delegates are to, quote, be allocated in a fashion that fairly reflects the express presidential preference or uncommitted status of the primary voters. Steve Shale, a former Obama campaign strategist and the leader of a super PAC supporting Joe Biden, said, you don't have a right to be on a party primary ballot just because you want to be. A senior advisor to the Phillips campaign, however, Jeff Weaver, lamented, after all that has been done to erode confidence in the democratic process since 2020, does our party really want the legitimacy of our nominee to be put in question by this corrupt, rigged process? If the DNC does not correct this issue, Phillips's campaign is considering legal action and will challenge all of the Florida delegates who were selected to go to the national convention. The Williamson campaign has also threatened legal challenges. Americans would expect the absence of democracy in Tehran, not Tallahassee, Phillips said in a statement. He added, the intentional disenfranchisement of voters runs counter to everything for which our democratic party and country stand. Our mission as Democrats is to defeat authoritarians, not become them. In America, we the people choose those who represent us, not a handful of party insiders seeking a coronation while preventing competition. The Florida Democratic Party called Phillips's statements conspiratorial and inappropriate. Instead of his remarks, this is unbecoming of someone running for higher office. So, you do admit he's a candidate. Interesting. But he's still not going to be on your ballot. So the way the party that has been saying we need to preserve democracy thinks you do that is by silencing opposition. Again, interesting. The Florida Democratic Party spokesperson said the party first heard from the campaign on November 22nd, the day before Thanksgiving. Weaver, however, provided copies of two letters he said the campaign sent to Florida Democratic Party Chair Nikki Freed on November 7th, in which he provided staff contact information and stated that he was writing, quote, to emphasize my personal commitment to encouraging full participation by our supporters in Florida's delegate selection process. Weaver asserts it's not necessary to send a letter to the Florida Democratic Party to get on the ballot, something a party spokesperson acknowledges. In 2016, the Bernie Sanders team claimed the primary process was rigged against him as well. 
The Phillips campaign is now starting to get the same feeling, with Phillips going on Twitter this month to say, I had long dismissed his complaints about the rigged Democratic Party primary system. But you know what? He was right. Weaver, coincidentally, managed that 2016 Bernie Sanders campaign and is understandably frustrated now, saying the Florida party is engaging in the Politburo politics of places like Cuba or the old Soviet Union. Communist Party insiders make the decision instead of the people. In stark contrast, Florida's neighbor, Georgia, which has a similar system, put three names on their primary ballot last week, Biden, Phillips, and Williamson. Over in the Republican primaries, Nikki Haley continues to attract more heavy-hitting potential donors. Billionaire co-founder of Home Depot, Ken Langone, is joining the growing list of donors warming up to the Haley campaign, planning to meet with her soon. Langone told CNBC in an interview Monday, the only person I see who can give Donald Trump a run for his money is Nikki Haley. When asked why he was looking at Haley now, when he had been interested in DeSantis previously, Langone said of DeSantis' position on abortion, I think he's coming across too hard-ass. To be fair, DeSantis did sign into law a ban on abortions after six weeks in Florida. Earlier this month, however, Nikki Haley said that if the South Carolina state legislature had passed a six-week abortion ban while she was governor, she would have signed it. So there seems to be no difference between the two candidates on that issue. Is Langone saying Haley has a better ass? I kid, I kid. I have no data on any of the candidates' asses. Haley has received another powerful endorsement, Americans for Prosperity Action. The political network founded by billionaire Charles Koch is endorsing her campaign. In a memo Tuesday, the AFP said Haley, quote, offers America the opportunity to turn the page on the current political era, to win the Republican primary and defeat Joe Biden next November. It continued, she has what it takes to lead a policy agenda to take on our nation's biggest challenges and help ensure our country's best days are ahead. This is a significant alliance, as the AFP has already raised $70 million and has a pool of volunteers that could be leveraged to boost Haley's campaign war chest and ground game. The first actions will be a multi-million dollar ad campaign in the early primary in Super Tuesday states called We Must Do Better. Senior advisor to AFP Action, Emily Seidel, said, We can't keep looking to politicians of the past to fix the problems of today. She said, Nikki Haley represents a new generation of leadership that offers a bold, positive vision for our future. AFP Action is proud to be endorsing her, and we will be doing everything we can to help make her the next president of the United States. The DeSantis campaign's grapes were notably sour, with DeSantis's communications director Andrew Romeo saying, every dollar spent on Nikki Haley's campaign should be reported as an in-kind to the Trump campaign. Speaking of Ron DeSantis, for some reason, Thursday, he had a debate with California Governor Gavin Newsom in what was called the Great Red State versus Blue State debate. The Democrat entered hostile territory with Sean Hannity, of all people, as... <laughs> Moderator. Respect, Governor. You got brass ones, my friend. Newsom came out swinging, suggesting he and DeSantis had one thing in common, quote, neither of us will be the nominee of our party in 2024. Damn, guess who's not getting a Christmas card from the DeSantis family this year? I'm being facetious, pretending to not know why DeSantis wanted this. I am genuinely confused at why Newsom did, but he did so, so here we are. DeSantis's campaign is like a dying sun rapidly cooling, and certain to explode soon. He needs something to rev up his brand and revive interest in his candidacy. This had the possibility of doing that. Newsom is a well-known and polarizing Democrat and makes a relevant surrogate for President Biden. 
If DeSantis could make a good showing, he would put the image of a person who can beat a Democrat in a general election in the minds of voters. It's pretty creative, in my opinion, and would separate him from the pack in the GOP primaries if it works. DeSantis sparred with Newsom, calling him the lockdown governor, and contrasted California's closed public schools, while the private schools that Newsom's children attended received waivers to stay open. Newsom shot back, you passed an emergency declaration before the state of California did, you closed down your beaches, your bars, your restaurants. Newsom closed with, Donald Trump laid you out on this, dead to rights. On abortion, Newsom challenged DeSantis. Will you or will you not sign a six-week ban in the unlikely case you become president of the United States? DeSantis did sign into law in Florida a measure that bans most abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. So extreme is your ban that criminalizes women and criminalizes doctors that even Donald Trump said it was too extreme, Newsom said. DeSantis never actually answered the question. When asked if he would support any limits on abortion rights, Newsom said he supports abortion rights, noting that late-term abortions are extremely rare and come as a result of fetal anomalies or conditions that jeopardize the health of the mother, saying it is an extreme, extreme exception. He added it should be up to the mother and the doctor and her conscience. In one exchange, DeSantis got a gut shot when even Newsom threw his support behind Nikki Haley, saying, quote, This is just a reminder. It's a question some people are probably asking. I know Nikki Haley's campaign is asking, when are you going to drop out and at least give Nikki Haley a shot to take down Donald Trump in this nomination, Newsom added. (laughs) She laid you out. (sighs) DeSantis probably felt like that Chinese kid that tried to D-up Newsom when the California governor visited China recently. Newsom has been accused in the past and was accused during the debate by DeSantis of running a, quote, shadow campaign for president, something Newsom denies. When asked directly by Sean Hannity if he would say, unequivocally, he would not run in 2024 under any circumstances, Newsom quickly shot back, correct. I admit I really haven't been paying attention to Newsom. I was not aware of this idea that he might be angling for a run this year. Looking at him, though, and thinking back to what I said a moment ago, Why would he agree to this sideshow? It's got me thinking. All right, folks. Pull out your box of aluminum foil. Not that cheap store brand stuff, the quality heavy-duty Reynolds wrap. We're going to play the conspiracy game. Your head wrapped up tight? Okay, let's get weird. Newsom is a high-level Democrat, a powerful governor of the most populous state. California, as such, has the largest pool of delegates, 494 for the Democratic Convention, There is executive experience and delegate support. He's been dealing directly with other countries as the governor. There is international experience. He agreed to debate a Republican, potentially resulting in the same image boost DeSantis is obviously going for. He spent the entire debate as a Biden hype man flying the administration flag high. There is demonstrated understanding of the administration's policies and public advocacy for it. Let's be real. Regardless of who you're looking at for president in next year's election, you must must admit that Biden is a liability. Yes, Trump is terrifying, but we can talk about him in a minute. Joe Biden is clearly showing signs of dementia and deterioration of both his mental and physical faculties. He is not a safe choice for four more years. I'm not sure he's got four more months left in him. We have only to look at Kamala Harris attending the COP28 climate summit in his place for yet more indications that all is not well with the president. I'm not enjoying this. I have no respect for people who celebrate the physical suffering of political rivals. It's disgusting. I would prefer to see Biden retire rather than watch him continue to fall apart on my news feed while the world burns. Is he corrupt? Yes, he is. 
Has he enriched himself and his family to the detriment of the country and its people? Yes, he has. Is he alone on any of these charges? No. Would it be nice if he suffered legal consequences for that? Absolutely. Will that ever happen? Hell no. If he was still all there mentally and physically, at least we could enjoy some continuity of government. But he's not, so we don't. Can he at least just go away? The polling supports my concerns. A majority of people asked are concerned about this, and rightly so. If the alternative to Biden wasn't Trump, I expect the Democrats would be more open to changing horses. But Trump is just so damn scary that the Democrats are propping up Biden like weekend at Bernie's, hoping he can make it to an inauguration. Wait, is that the plan? Are we, I, not as smart as we, I think we, I are? If the goal is to get him back in the White House for at least a full work day to establish residency so they could create a pretense for him to step down and hand the office over to his vice president, they certainly don't intend that to be Kamala Harris, do they? She has, like, Senate levels of approval in polls. People do not like her. Are they going to figure out a way to get Newsom on the ticket in the VP slot? Is he the guy? Huh. Eh, this foil is too tight. It's giving me a headache. All right. That's it. Y'all have a great weekend, folks. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.